joining us online, uh, welcome to St. Matthew's. Uh, we're going to start this morning with a joyful song of praise to Jesus, who deserves the praise of everybody everywhere. So let's stand and sing All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. to you all. It's great to see you here at St Matthew's, both those of you who are in the building and those of you who are joining us online. Uh, for those of you who are guests with us, we love having guests. Uh, my name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here and we're glad to have you joining us at St Matthew's today. Today we're really looking forward to the next uh, part of the book of Romans as we hear that read and as our senior minister Bruce uh, speaks from that section of the scriptures. We'll also have opportunity to sing again, and uh, for many, we're saving the best till last, but I won't tell you what, what it is. Uh, it is a favourite, though, that we, uh, we love singing here at St Matthew's. And uh, we're engaging with God in prayer. He, he's brought us together here, for whatever reason. He's brought us together so that we might encourage one another and come to him in prayer and listen to his word and sing his praises. And uh, as the service opens, we'll... We'll pray a couple of prayers together. One, simply asking for God's help in the rest of our service here as we come together in his name. Uh, the other, thanking God and deliberately thanking him for all of his goodness. So would you join me as those two prayers come up on our screen? Firstly, in this prayer of preparation. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts 
by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And this prayer of thanksgiving, let's pray it together. Gracious God, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely given to us, for life and health and safety, for power to work, leisure to rest, and for all that is beautiful in creation and human life. But above all, we praise you for our Saviour Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection, for the gift of your spirit, and for the hope of sharing in your glory. Fill our hearts with all joy and peace in believing. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and Amen. Uh, a little bit of church news to share with you. The first is to say that to those of you who are guests, uh, we are very pleased to have you with us. And we'd love to know that you've been here. And one, one way that you could do that is by taking hold of the little card that you'll find under the seat in front of you and uh, using the QR code there, which will take you through to our online connect card. And you could let us know by that means. Of course, a simpler thing may be, you could speak to me afterwards and I'd love to meet you. The other thing, of course, is that, that if there are uh, matters uh, where we could be of help to you, you could let us know by that means uh, or by calling the office through the week and the office number is on the website. I'll also mention for the benefit of our regular members, uh, saying firstly a thank you to those of you who, who give generously uh, to the work of the gospel here. Many of you have made arrangements electronically to do that uh, on a regular basis. Uh, we of course during the next hymn have a, a collection, but for those of you who prefer to use uh, electronic means while you're here, there, there is a, a little machine up the back there uh, that you can use for that. The only other thing to let you know before our senior minister, uh, Bruce, uh, introduces our foundation appeal for, uh, for this year is that on the 1st of July, uh, which is only two Fridays ago, uh, <laughs> Fridays ahead of us, um, uh, we've got a worship night here at St Matthew's that will be led by our music minister, David Nduimana. Uh, so everyone is warmly uh, invited to join in that, that night, which will be held in the Darley Smith building in the auditorium upstairs. That's on Friday week. Thank you, Bruce. Good morning, everyone. I do quite like this new arrangement. It's very uh, cosy. Um, this time of the year, we always try and raise money for the St Matthews Foundation. It's getting towards the end of the financial year. And if I can just say a very big thank you to those who give regularly to the general offering, that is the bread and butter giving that we ask people to contribute to. It's what keeps the lights on and uh, the ministry running. But we do have a number of uh, special funds which we can give towards, which are tax deductible. Uh, they are our uh, Christian Education Fund, which supports all of the um, teaching of scripture in the schools here, both behind at Manly Village School, as well as the wonderful work that Anchor RE do in the high schools at McKellar uh, Boys, sorry, McKellar Girls, Balgala Boys, and also Manly Selective. And uh, just last night, they celebrated 40 years of this ministry, which is fantastic. Uh, we also have our welfare fund, which keeps the soup kitchen running. Uh, and we also partner with the Salvation Army in terms of their ministry, reaching out to the homeless. And there's a third fund which was introduced. We are one of the uh, churches who help support the chaplain up at the Northern Beaches Hospital. And uh, she's doing a terrific job. And we made a video last year, and we only played it once, and I thought it's too good just to have it played once, uh, about the different ministries supported by the Foundation. So have a look at the screen and be encouraged by what uh, giving towards the Foundation is actually doing. My name is Diana Aitken and I've been helping out with Soup Kitchen for 12 years this year. The Soup Kitchen ministry offers a place where our guests can come and feel part of a community and connect with other people. A typical night at Soup Kitchen will consist of a, a set-up team coming in early and getting tables ready for table service. It's a very much a, a restaurant feel, which is which is nice for our guests. They don't they don't get that very often. 
our guests arrive and they are able to grab a cup of coffee and some cake or biscuits and sit down and have a chat. And of course, a two-course meal that is just one of the best you get in Manly, I'd say. And then around quarter past six, we have a devotion time. And, and this is a really special time for us to um, share our faith with our guests. So it might be me talking or one of our team. It's an interesting time. Our guests are very attentive, very much want to listen to what's being said. And that's been a really powerful part of the evening. We offer our guests showers. They can come in and have a, a nice hot shower. They get uh, clothing if they need it, blankets, sleeping bags. Another thing that started up um, just recently is the FIX program. One of our volunteers helps out our guests with specific issues that they might be having. They might be financial, legal issues, and we're able to support them through that program. We've also started up just recently a church school. So our guests can, um, if they would like to learn more about um, things like legal matters, financial matters, health matters, uh, we've got some courses running that they can choose to um, join up with, which has been great. That's just started up this year. We've also got the Streetside Medic Van that turns up every Monday night that offers a full medical service for our guests free of charge. Doctors from the Royal North Shore Hospital have kitted out a van that can do ultrasounds, blood tests, pretty much you name it. And that has just been absolutely wonderful and transforming for uh, quite a few of our guests. As well as um, all of those programs that we've got running, each Monday night, um, a couple of our volunteers um, run a Bible study. Over the last probably five or six years, it's, it's grown immensely and um, some nights it's sort of standing room only. So there's a lot going on. There is a lot going on, so. My name's Kieran. I've been teaching scripture SRE at Bally Boys for the last four years and I love it. Teaching SRE at Bally Boys means that we have every student once a week. Uh, that's 64 periods a fortnight and it's just great. We have a huge number of students who, who opt in to the program. It's 50 minutes per period, which is a huge amount of time for us to share the Christian worldview and the story of Jesus. The students at Bally majority wouldn't know who Jesus is without the program. Um, so we can go in there and uh, we're really able to connect and engage with students on, on many levels, on many topics. Um, also, we can be there to support the Christian kids who are at the school. Um, those numbers are actually growing over the years. Uh, there are more Christian kids at the school, particularly at St. Matt's as well, in Year 7 and Year 8. Um, so we try to have some lunch groups for those boys. I also run a rowing program at the school. Uh, and that's another really valuable way of me engaging with the students and the school community. Um, so I have the enormous privilege um, to teach 29 classes a week um, and that's around 800 students, girls um, that get to hear the biblical worldview um, and hear about Jesus' life, death and resurrection. So. Um, yep, I do that. I um, help run uh, lunchtime groups for Christian students and other students um, come along to that as well. 90% uh, of the students that come to SRE, it's the only opportunity they ever get to hear the biblical worldview and hear about how Jesus can impact their lives and the lives of the world. So, yeah, I, I think that makes it pretty worthwhile. <laughs> Anchor RE relies on the support of the churches and there's more than 11 churches involved in that scripture board who contribute to Anchor. Um, St Matt's is uh, by far the biggest contributor to that, um, to that organisation and, and to Anchor RE and so we really rely on the generosity of St Matt's and the community to, to survive year on year. Not only do we um, appreciate the financial support but also the prayers. So. The other day I ran into Bruce and he said, oh, we're praying for you and, um, and that's really appreciated by us because we see, we feel your prayers and we see them being answered. 
it's really important that St Matt's um, partnership with Soup Kitchen, but I'm not sure that that's, that's, that's quite the way I would think about it. Soup Kitchen is part of St Matthew's Church, so we're part of God's family, we're part of this family here. So we're all in it together. So many people ask me how it's going, so I'm sure it, well I know it's on people's minds. I know it is, and so, and obviously there are some people who can come and help and some people can't, but um, the congregation are part of what we do in terms of their financial support and prayer support. Here we go. Very encouraging, isn't it? I know from uh, talking to Diana that I think at the moment they're getting upwards of 20 people at the Bible study, nearly a third uh, of the guests who come along, uh, come up to the Level 1 Bailey Smith building and uh, a number of our regulars help lead them and they are just this great group who are really growing in their faith, which is so encouraging. And um, the scripture ministry is just incredible in terms of the opportunities. I think we've got the highest percentage of students uh, in terms of the kids who are going to Bally Boys and McKellar, attending scripture anywhere in the state. Um, I think it's over 90% opt-in, uh, which is remarkable. So if I can just encourage you, if you're able to give over and above your regular giving towards uh, the foundation, that'd be great. Uh, if I can make a couple of comments, I have emailed out everyone the details for it. If you are new and you want to know more and you'd like to get the details, you can see on the screen, if you go to our church website, there's a button called Give, and uh, sorry, the St Matthews Foundation, and that's got the details there. And uh, all the different ways you can give are listed on the website there. And so let me encourage you, if you want to get it in for this financial year, which I know for many people is important, uh, it needs to hit our bank account on or before June 30. If it hits on the 1st of July, we'll give you one for next year's financial return. Not this year. So anyway, get them in. I put mine in the other week. And uh, we pray that, again, we'll see God's people respond with generosity. Thanks, Andrew. Um, Diana mentioned uh, the value of prayer uh, for these ministries. So uh, we'll certainly be praying for people who benefit from the outcome of the Foundation Appeal in our prayers. I'm going to lead us in prayers, and then we'll join together in the, Lord, in the Lord's Prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you for the riches of the gospel that we're finding as we read through the book of Romans. We pray you'll continue to open our hearts and minds so we embrace the hope and the peace that we have through faith in your Son. And we thank you for the confidence we have to approach you as our Heavenly Father as we pray. Lord, you teach us to grieve with those who grieve, and to rejoice with those who rejoice. We pray your work amongst us so that we reflect your love in our love for each other. We pray you'll give us all understanding and compassion for those who need your strength and wisdom. We pray for your, that you'll give perseverance and healing, especially to those who experience mental health difficulties. And Lord, we bring before you the areas that are supported by the Foundation Appeal for scripture teaching, for welfare work, for chaplaincy services. We thank you for the opportunity we have to contribute to meeting the spiritual and practical needs of diverse groups in our area, from school children to those in hospital and others who are doing it tough. We pray that you'll move us to give generously towards the needs of others. Further afield, we pray now for our mission partners, Dave and Leonie Painter, as they finalise preparations to head back to their work at Phnom Penh Bible School in Cambodia. Be with Dave as he edits training materials in the Khmer language. May it be used greatly to effectively equip Cambodian Bible teachers and evangelists for many years to come and be with Leonie as she completes a training course here in Sydney. We ask that that training will equip her to be a great blessing to those she teaches when she returns. We pray for a safe and happy return 
and for many years of many more years of faithful service in Cambodia for Dave and Leonie. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would work powerfully amongst your people, the people who are attending the Alpha Away Day next Saturday. Father, we ask that those who attend will find your peace by placing their faith in our Lord Jesus. May they come humbly and joyfully to you and become those who become an encouragement to others, those who learn what it means to walk closely with you and be those who participate in building up the body of Christ. And I invite you now to join me as we pray in the, Lord, the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And just before we sing our collection hymn, uh, I'll, I'll let you know that we've begun a pattern where every month or so we pray, pray by name for people who've been a part of our fellowship here but are no longer able to come. We're planning to do that again next Sunday. That's also a good opportunity for us to lift up before the Lord other particular needs that there may be. So if you'd like us to pray for you by name next Sunday, uh, please let me know. Uh, you could use the card or just mention it to me or call at the office. And if there's someone else that you're concerned about, with, with their permission, uh, let us know uh, about them as well and we'd gladly pray for them next Sunday. But right now we've got a chance to sing. Would you be standing as we sing together How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. This morning's reading is from Romans, it's chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 12 to 21, and I will read slowly because the language is slightly convoluted. I'll read slowly for my benefit. It's on page 
1,130. I do like this new arrangement. I understand the uh, parish council vetoed the fire pit they were requesting in the front here. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man Jesus Christ overflow to the many nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteous to bring eternal life through Christ our Lord. So let's pray and have a think about what God's words have to say. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all of Scripture, and I thank you for this particular passage. As John said, it does sound kind of convoluted, but Lord, there's some incredible truths here, and I pray that you would help us to understand them and apply them to our hearts and minds this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a confession to make. Um, I I think I did too much reading on this sermon, not enough writing. Um, it is fascinating. I remember many years ago, I thought of actually doing a master's thesis on this passage. Uh, that may tell you more about me than anything else. Um, you think, why on earth would you want to do an MPH on this passage? Anyway, I came to my senses. <laughs> Never did it. And I haven't returned to it in any great depth since then. And I just was fascinated by it. And I love to encourage people to read the Bible. It's just the most important thing we can do, or one of the most important things we can do, uh, because it's God's Word for us. It's not just a book about God, it actually is the Word of God. And when you read it, we should hear God speaking to us. And when we read the Word of God, um, it's often incredibly comforting. Um, it can be just amazing as you read about the great things of God's grace and His love for us. But it can also be very sobering and confronting. And when I was reading through Romans 5 this week and just thinking about it, it is both of these things. 
there is some wonderful truths there, but there's also a sobering reality that we're confronted by. And I was thinking about the words I'd use to describe Romans 5, and I'll put them up on the screen. Um, it's sobering, it's essential, but it's also transformative. Uh, this passage is incredible in so many different ways. And there's three different things I want us to look at. Firstly, the original sin. And it is a sobering thing to think about what took place and the way that has affected us. And I think when John was saying it's a convoluted passage, uh, you've got this description, a tale of two Adams, uh, that Paul is wrestling with, the first Adam and the second Adam, and the contrasts and the similarities between them. And then thirdly, it talks about that second Adam and because of him, what I want to call the reign of grace. And that's an incredible thing to take hold of. So let me start by just uh, reminding us of where we've come. If you are new with us, we've been going through the Paul's letter to the Romans. It's an incredible uh, description of the gospel. And we've seen some uh, wonderful truths. The universal reality of sin is where we started in chapters 1 through to 3. Uh, the inability of all of us to be in right relationship with God because of that. But then the incredible grace that God brings us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he justifies us by faith and we take hold of his promises by faith and merely by faith we are made right with God because of what Christ has done. And then last week we saw that once we're justified by faith, God works in our hearts and minds to pour out his love into us. And that is an incredible experience, not just a truth, it's something that we know in our hearts. Interestingly, as we come today, he seems to go back to where he started from. <laughs> I thought we dealt with sin, you might say, in chapters 1 to 3 in the most extensive way. But it's like he wants to go back and say, you know what, there's more to say on this topic. You need to understand the origins of it and the way it's been overturned. And so I want to start with uh, verse 12. And if you've got your Bibles there, do open up. Uh, we're at page uh, 1130, uh, Romans chapter 5. And let me read to you from that first verse that John read. It's on the screen. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. Now, if you've done any reading in theology, you may know this is a very famous verse because it's the proof text for what the people call the doctrine of original sin. And if you read a book of theology and they say the doctrine of original sin, often you'll see in brackets Romans 5.12. This is the verse that often underpins that along with a number of others, particularly Psalm 51. But I want to ask the question, what is this verse actually saying? The first thing is this. Adam was a real person. It's worth noting that. Um, now, he's described in this verse here as being one man. We know in verse 14, the one man that's referred to in verse 12 is Adam. And it's worth saying that in the New Testament, uh, the way he's described is that he is a real human being. Um, if you want my own version of the creation events, I think there is a long history of the earth being made. Uh, that's what the science seems to say. Uh, it's took place over millions of years. But late in the piece, very late, Adam was created with Eve. He was a real person within history. And all of us are related to him. And he has spoken about that way, not just here, but also in the New Testament in other places. Now, the important thing about Adam is, through him, sin enters the world. And that's what is saying there, just, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death came through sin. At other parts of the New Testament, Eve is also, interestingly, if I can put it this way, called out for her role in the fall of humanity. But it's interesting here, Adam is the one who is held up as the one who is responsible for, if I can say, leading us all into the state of sin. And he pinpoints him as the one who had the ultimate responsibility, which I think is reflective of the doctrine of headship, which I'm not going to speak about today, but it's just worth noting that this is what is made note of here. And in the Garden of Eden, prior to Adam and Eve and their rebellion, which was together, it's worth noting sin didn't exist. 
They were in this perfect relationship with God. There was no shame. There was no fear. There was no guilt. But because of the way they did not trust God, they did not believe God, and they sought to know good and evil separate from God, in other words, to be autonomous from him and run their own life, sin entered the world. Now, what was the result? Death came. If you know the story of Adam and Eve, do read chapter 3, if you're not familiar, of Genesis. They were tossed out of the garden. Now, God, in his grace, gave them clothes. It was this, and if I can say, there's no doubt the um, narrative in Genesis 2 to 3 is prosaic, but it's speaking about real people who committed real actions. And God is there looking after them, but also judging them. And death entered the world at that point. If they had not sinned, there is the possibility that they would have had immortality and those after them. But that was lost at that point. Death came. And death is the great level. There's only two people outside of the Lord Jesus who have ever escaped death. Elijah and I think it's Enoch. Both of them were taken up to the Lord. Everyone else dies. It's the great reality of life. And it's the judgment of God on humanity. Now, the thing to note is, and what Paul is saying here, the effects of this sin and the judgment in terms of death coming are now universal. This verse is the proof text for what is called original sin. Uh, Paul is not saying the humans all die because we are like Adam. It's interesting. He says it's because we are in Adam. In other words, he is, for want of a better word, our head. And that's what he's saying in verse 12. In this way, death came to all people because all sinned. He represents us and we are caught up in this rebellion in a way that we can't escape. And, I mean, people often talk about um, what they'd like to say to different people when they meet uh, them in heaven. And if I meet Adam, I think there'll be a few conversations we'd all want to have. <laughs> because, you see, we all fell with him. We're all in him. We die because we are in Adam. And what this ancient biblical understanding is teaching is that a person is not what he or she is simply through their personal choices. They become what they are because of their connection to him. And because of our connection to Adam, in that we're all descendants of him, we inherit a fallen and guilty nature and we are naturally enemies with God. Now, anyone who's been a parent knows that they did not have to teach their children to sin. <laughs> who told their children to say no and to be defiant? Well, I don't know any parent who taught them that. They just do it naturally and willfully. And it's a reflection of this doctrine. We are born... We inherit a fallen nature, one that naturally wants to turn away from God. Let me give you an example from World War II to illustrate this reality that all of us are in Adam and so we have, in a sense, a natural state of being enemies with God. Now, in World War II, Australia declared war on Japan subsequent to being at war with Germany on the 8th of December. Now, we did that in solidarity with our American brothers and sisters. Pearl Harbor took place the day before the 7th of December, 1941. As a result of that, there were some 4,000 Japanese people living in Australia at the time. Now, they were happily living here, contributing as um, good citizens. Numbers of them were born here as children. That's a picture of them in what was called an internment camp. They weren't prisoners, but they were interned. The government decided that they could not trust them because they were Japanese and we were at war with Japan. Now, in the internment camps, there were also Germans and Italians who'd been residing here. That one's in South Australia. And uh, there's a very interesting article I read from uh, the SBS website about this um, camp 
and a 12-year-old boy who was still alive uh, back a number of years ago at the 75th anniversary. Uh, he couldn't understand because, you see, he'd been born in Australia, but by virtue of the fact that he was Japanese and had Japanese blood and that the Japanese emperor had done what he'd done and we were at war with them, he was now at war with us. And so they were taken off to the internment camp. And it's the same with us. All of us are related to Adam. Whether we like it or not, he is our head, Paul is saying, and we've inherited his guilt and his sinful nature and that all of us are caught up in sin. We cannot escape it. And that's why he's saying, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in other words, that's the judgment on it, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Now, he goes on to say this in verse 13 and 14. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account when there is no law. Now, he's not saying they're not sinning, but rather that they're not aware of their sin. Nevertheless, death reigned. In other words, they were still sinning. Death and the judgment on sin still took place. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. And what he's saying here is, it's not that there was no sin prior to the coming of the law of Moses, rather there just wasn't an awareness of it. Nevertheless, death still reigned. The judgment on sin still took place. They might have knowingly sinned by breaking commands, um, but they still sinned as a result. They didn't know they were doing it, but they still sinned and death continued. And the same is true today. People may not be aware of God's standards, but that doesn't mean they're not sinning. We are naturally in enmity towards God because of our hearts that don't trust him, don't believe in him and seek to run lives our own way. And we could put Paul's logic this way. Disease and death reign just as much over nice people as over cruel people, just as much over ignorant people as instructed people, just as much over infants who haven't disobeyed deliberately as over adults. Why? Because we are all affected by the sin of Adam that we continue to propagate. Well, it's a sobering morning coming to church, isn't it? <laughs> Great to see you today. I'm going to come back and reflect on this because it's actually an incredibly essential truth to take hold of. But I want to move first, secondly, to the second section, which is the tale of two Adams. And it is a long, and to quote John's words, slightly convoluted description of the differences between Adam and the Lord Jesus. And in the verses that follow, from verses 15 through to verses 19, what happens is Paul compares and contrasts the impact of Adam on humanity compared to the Lord Jesus and what he's done. And both Adam and Jesus stand for or represent one of two groups of people. And what he's saying is you're either in Adam or you are in Christ. The world is either in Adam or in Christ and both by their actions affect people. You, you've got to be in one of the two camps. So verse 15, but the gift, speaking of the gift of eternal life, is not like the trespass for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? In other words, there's this contrast Death comes through one man, but through the other man, there is this gift of eternal life. Adam brings death, Jesus brings grace and life. Verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. And that gift here is to be justified. We are declared not innocent. We're not judged, rather we're accepted. And verse 18 summarizes it this way, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, and that's the doctrine of original sin, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Adam brings death, Jesus brings life. That's a nice, neat summary of some complicated verses. Adam brings death from his actions. Jesus, by his actions, brings life and justification. 
And I want you to see why, verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Now we talk much of Jesus' death and his resurrection, his death dying, uh, his death in our place for our sins, his resurrection defeating death. We don't often reflect on his obedience, but it's also vitally important. Christ lived the life that none of us can live. All of us are fatally flawed. We cannot, by our own wills and good intentions, obey God completely. We, we just can't. We're fatally flawed. But Jesus fully obeyed God. And what he credits to us is his obedience. Now, it's interesting, I was talking to someone yesterday and they have lots of frequent flyer points. And he said his children like to use them. <laughs> and he can credit them to him, to them. Now, what we get credited is obedience. So that when God looks at us when we're in Christ, he doesn't see our fatal flaws and our brokenness, he sees perfection because of Jesus' obedience. And what he does is he takes our fatal flaws and bears them on the cross. It's the great exchange. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. And his righteousness is imputed to us. It's given to us so that in God's sight, we are clean. We are perfect. Which leads me to my third point, the reign of grace. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. In other words... The law of Moses helped people know the boundaries for how they followed God, but it also revealed to them their need of God. It helped them understand what sin was. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, in other words, there's this power to sin that you cannot escape, all of us under it, it reigns and it produces death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the word grace is used 18 times in the book of Romans. Five of them come in this short section from verse 12 through to 21. And it's the word that is significant to Paul to sum up what God does to reverse the effects of Adam. He sends his son who brings grace, who brings mercy. Verse 20, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Verse 21, grace reigns. It rules in eternal life through Jesus Christ. In other words, what is to control us now, it's this incredible thought, is God's grace. That's what rules us, God's grace, through righteousness. And I take it it's through the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is given to us to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace is God's undeserved favour and kindness to us in Christ. It's his love to send us his son, to live for us, to die for us, to rise again for us. It's his mercy to forgive all of our sins on the basis of what Christ has done, both past, present and future. It is his granting to us, purely by grace, eternal life as a free gift. It is the pouring out of his Holy Spirit into our lives so that we're transformed and made new. Grace is how God rules his people. It's quite incredible. We are no longer under the law. 
we live now under grace. And God's grace should guide our hearts and our minds. I want to stop there in terms of going through the actual passage. And for the next five or six minutes, reflect on what these words mean for us. There is a sobering nature to this because it really highlights our complete inability to please God in our own strength. It's telling us a truth about ourselves that we cannot escape. That at our core, we are completely fallen. It's very sobering. We are broken, we're rebellious, we're unbelieving of God's goodness and his gracious promises to us. And that's who we naturally are. It's a very sobering thing to take hold of. And it's because of our link to Adam. And it's a link we cannot escape. Adam was not just a bad example that we can unwittingly unfollow. He is our head who we're completely affected by. And let me just say, it's very sobering to note that. But it's also incredibly essential. Let me go back, sorry. You see, when you lose this doctrine, bad things happen. Because you see, this doctrine humbles you. The doctrine of original sin puts us all on the same level playing field. Both with God and with everyone else in the world. What it teaches us is there's no us and them. And let me say, we're very good at doing that. Those over there, those people, but there's us. There are no people in life who are better than others. And let me say, this is such an important doctrine, not, I'm not looking at the world, I'm looking at us. Because it's so easy to start looking down on people and thinking that we have a moral superiority because we're Christians and we know God. This doctrine should completely humble you. We are all the same before God and there is no one better than anyone else. We all have hearts that rebel against him, that disbelieve him and that want to run life our own way, all of us. And that, that thought should completely humble us. And the loss of this doctrine results in pride. And pride is alive and well in our culture today. I love what Francis Buffett, he was an adult convert to the Christian faith from the UK. And he's got a book, which is a, I love the title, How Despite Everything, Christianity Can Make Surprising Emotional Sense. And he writes this in the book. So of all things, Christianity isn't supposed to be about gathering up the good people, i.e. the shiny, happy, squeaky, clean people, and excluding the bad people. Frightening, alien, repulsive. For the very simple reason that there aren't any good people. The religion, Christianity, certainly can slip into being a club or a cosy affinity group or a wall against the world. And it absolutely has that potential. We can feel smug. But it isn't supposed to be. What it's supposed to be is a league of the guilty. Not all guilty of the same things or in the same way or in the same degree, but enough for us to recognise each other. It's a beautiful phrase. We are an association of the league of the guilty. The doctrine of sin is essential because it should humble you. And because of that, it should teach you to respect other people who are different to you. You realise that you are no better than anyone else. And so even though you might be different in your beliefs, you are not morally superior to other people. 
And the problem is, as Christians, we are forgetting this. And as a culture, we are losing this. Uh, one of the marks of our current culture, and this is why this doctrine is so essential, but being lost literally year by year, is the rise of what I call blame and cancel culture. And that is the environment we're living in. And you think about this. There's just this increasing nature in our society to blame others for things. An increasing polarisation in terms of viewpoints. The left will blame the right. The right will blame the left. There is this woke culture which wants to cancel things. And the problem with it is, when you listen to people, no one is taking responsibility for their own sins. They're just pointing out the sins of others. Is that the world we live in? And there is just this deep criticism of others while being self-righteous in their own stance. And this is the world that we're living in. I hear it in the media every day. I see it in the way people behave. I see our leaders, our politicians constantly blaming others. I see it in the woke thinking that wants to cancel things. I see it in the right-wing thinking. I see it in the church and in Christians who sadly at times are judgmental and holier than thou. And what they've lost is their doctrine of original sin. That all of us are the same. And the only thing that differentiates us from the world is what? That we are in Christ. And we have experienced his grace and mercy as the leave of the guilty. And friends, we should be different because we are under the reign of grace. And this chapter this section is transformative because when you really take hold of who you are and how helpless you are and you see how wonderful God is towards you in your brokenness, your rebellion, your ignorance, your sin and that he still loves you and redeems you it should not lead you to pride or moral superiority but just to this humble transformation and joy that I am someone deeply loved who has found mercy and grace in Christ Jesus and my life now is caught up in him Let's pray. Father, it is sobering to think of the reality of sin in our life. May we never lose a sense of that reality. May it be sobering for us. May it humble us. May it teach us to respect others and to walk in humility. And may you also fill our hearts with joy and transform us by your grace. And may it be your grace that reigns in our hearts to enable us to forgive, to love, to care, to respect and to be your beacon of light and love in this world. In Jesus' name. Amen.
you want to take a seat? Six verses, they're all worth singing. And it's not just that it's a great fun song, uh, but our God, we want, to, we want to praise him, don't we? And uh, we've done a great job of that this morning. Um, morning tea will be served across the uh, courtyard and in the function room for our guests. Please come and join us. It's just a, a, a simple cup of tea and a couple of biscuits, but it's really good to get together. Um, as we finish, let me uh, leave you with these words of encouragement from a little later on in the book of Romans, where it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.